Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon. I love singing that and I love singing with you guys and just hearing all of the voices say, oh, for grace to trust him more, right? Hearing all of the voices singing how I've proved him o'er and o'er. I bet every one of us in here could tell more than one story about how we have seen God's faithfulness and how our lives have proved it because he's been faithful to us. Well, we have got a special speaker with us this morning, and I guarantee you from the bit that I've gotten to know him, that he's singing those words with us, that he knows that truth, and he's excited to share it with you. And Ben Corson is here, and Ben has a passion for the Word of God. Ben has been uh, teaching the Word since, I think I heard third grade, is that right? All right? So he's been loving it, he's been digging into it, he's been speaking all over the place, sharing it with other people. He founded something called Hope Generation Uh, that you can actually find him online where he's using that platform to get the word of God and the hope of God out to other people. And he's here to share that with us today. So would you please join me in welcoming Ben Corson. Thank you, my man. man. Love you. Thank you. So good to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, Everywhere I go, I like to uh, show the hope generators, the places that I'm speaking. So would you guys all say hi to my Instagram on the count of three? Three, two, one. The Hope Generators already love you, I can tell. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really, really honored and excited to be here because this place is like Oxford meets a country club meets Hogwarts. This is just so cool. So um, turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 8 if you have one. And I want to introduce this message by asking you a question. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Johnny Cash? Are you all familiar with Johnny Cash here? Famous for his country single, Walk the Line. He actually used to do uh, crusades with Billy Graham. So it was like two titans treading the earth together. Um, And then, of course, you had Bob Hope, a contemporary of Johnny Cash. Bob Hope was a famous TV comedian and personality. And, of course, another contemporary of these two men was Steve Jobs, the inventor of your iPhone. Well, what these guys all have in common is they all died within the last 20 years. So two decades ago, they were all alive. They all died within the last 20 years. So 20 years ago, we had Johnny Cash, Bob Hope, and Steve Jobs. Now we have no cash, no hope, and no jobs. (laughs) Father, we pray that Kevin Bacon would not die in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Did you know laughing actually boosts your brain intelligence? And if you laugh 100 to 200 times, it has the same effect on your body as going on a rowing machine for 10 minutes or a 10-minute jog or a stationary bike for 15 minutes. So if you want better abs, laugh at all my jokes, I'm just saying. But um, it's interesting because the Bible says a merry heart does good like medicine. And what medical science is now showing us is that 75 to 95% of the sicknesses and illnesses that plague us today are a direct derivative of our thought life. In fact, two of the typical diseases of modern life, the uh, the stomach ulcer ulcer and coronary thrombosis, uh, are often the result of stress. So um, I love how the Bible says the common people heard Jesus gladly. Maybe you're at a place where you're saying, Ben, I'm not able to laugh. I'm not able to dance in defiance of the dark. I'm not able to find sacred optimism, Jesus, joy, or holy happiness because I'm strapped of cash. I got sacked of my job. I'm bereft of hope. And I didn't even get my bacon this morning for breakfast. Hashtag the struggle is real. Well, I want to say hashtag the struggle is real, but so is God. 
Life is tough, but God is tougher. Life is a battle, but the battle is the Lord's and no one ever injured their eyesight by looking on the bright side. So we're not going to complain because rose bushes have thorns. We're going to rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Our past supply is not our last supply. The more desperate the case, the more space for God's grace. God's love is the coal that makes the train roll. So we're going to be strong when everything's going wrong. We're going to hope and cope because God's never failed anyone and he's not going to start with me. And if God's been faithful in my past, I'm going to be faith-filled about my future and I'm going to be fulfilled today. Can I get an amen? We are not the kind of people who allow our hope to be dictated by our circumstances, but rather our circumstances are always dictated by our hope. We are not creatures of our circumstances. We are creators of our circumstances. If you just understood how powerful you are, you would be utterly incapable of anything other than the ultimate realization that you are a child of God, that you are um, a magnum opus, you are a tour de force, a PSA de resistance. The Bible says you are his masterpiece. In Greek, that's poema. You are God's poetry in motion. You bear the image of the divine. You go throughout life as royalty. The Bible says you are a king and you are a priest. Revelation 3 says you're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. Malachi 3.17 says you are God's jewels. When you go through life living up to who you already are as a child of the Most High God, you are utterly incapable of anything other than maximum sending and ultimate winning. So, so my heart for you is that you would be a part of creating a generation that is known for its hope. Like, like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are one of the most, in fact, this young generation that's coming up right now is uh, the most depressed generation in recorded history. Did you know that uh, we as Americans consume more pills due to anxiety and depression than the rest of the earth combined by three times over? Antidepressants are the number one best-selling prescribed category pharmaceutical prescription medication. In a nation built on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we are stressed, depressed, distressed, and in debt. We owe China trillions of dollars. Now, I'm not saying whether or not you should take antidepressants. What I'm saying is that statistic is very telling of the fact that we've lost the plot. In fact, watch this. Suicide is the top 10 leading causes of death. In a generation when we live better than kings used to live, we're missing something. My heart is, is that we would turn this mope generation into a hope generation. A lot of millennials, Generation Z, people my age, a lot of people think when you um, are going after a successful life, that is solely constituted by working 40 hours a week for 40 years to retire on 40% of your income, get your 401k, timeshare in Palm Springs, and die three years later, after having 2.5 kids, a dog named Spot, and a white picket fence. And then they go into the educational system, which sometimes, not in all cases, but sometimes is doing nothing more than brainwashing people, making them pay 150 Gs on a college education they could have got for a buck 50 at the local library in many cases. And Carnegie and Rockefeller setting up the educational system and make slaves for the industrial revolution. And we feel like we're just a cog in the system rather than a different kind of COG, a child of God. We were meant to, as David Thoreau said, suck the morrow out of life, put to rout all that is not life, lest we lead a life of quiet desperation and die with our songs still inside us. Okay, I didn't mean to go there, but I, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about this. We need to get into our text. I believe 
As the psalmist said in Psalm 119, this is where hope comes from. We need hope in our generation. This is where hope comes from. Psalm 119, the psalmist said, in thy word do I hope. The Bible says God's word never returns void. And when we get into the word, when we listen to the voice of God, that is the, that's the chief purpose that, uh, that I find in my life for receiving and, and believing the ideal and idea of hope. As you walk with, talk to, follow after, lean into, depend upon, live for, and lean into the word of God, you can't help but have hope. In fact, Paul the Apostle said in Romans 15 verse 4, Now these things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. He says the teleologic purport, the theological design, the purpose of the scriptures is for the express reason of giving you hope. So commentators can tell us, why the Bible was written, but I'd rather have Paul tell me why he wrote 14 books of the New Testament. And Paul said, the reason we wrote the scriptures was to give you hope. Meaning, if we walk away from a Bible study with less hope rather than more hope, it is a giant exercise in missing the point. Jesus did not say, I have come to preach the blues. He said, I have come to preach the good news. He said, I've come to preach the good news to the poor. Now that's very difficult for us in our generation. Because neurologically, what we're told about our cranial package, our gray cells, and our psychological constitution is that bad news sticks to the mind like Velcro, whereas good news rubs off the brain like water off a duck's back, like lubricant. So it is very difficult for us to accept good news. In fact, bad news will stick right away, but good news, neuroscience tells us, you have to take 15 seconds to assimilate that information into your cognitive processes. So ultimately, it's very difficult for us to receive good news. That's why the news media, their corporate profiteers and producers are constantly hawking bad news because they know that bad news sells. They know that bad news will glue you to the screen like Velcro. I don't know if you're on the right or left wing of the bird. I don't know if you're a Republican or a Democrat. But whether you're following the donkey or whether you're following the elephant, what we all agree on is we follow the lion and the lamb. And we are not moving toward a democracy, a monarchy, an oligarchy, an autocracy. We are moving toward a theocracy where God's rule and reign comes as perfectly to earth as it is in heaven. Let's go. We know that as Revelation says in 17 of the 22 chapters on roughly 45 occasions that God is seated on the throne, the political place of power. But be that as it may. Bad news is constantly what's selling, either on CNN or Fox, because that's what sticks to our brain and that's what um, pays the, 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 the birds. And ultimately, uh, my heart is, is that we would understand that the message of the gospel is this. Do you want the good news first or the good news first? <laughs> it's not like half good news, half bad news. Like it really is all good news. God loves you so much, he would go to the ends of the earth, even a cross, to prove to you just how for you he is to prove your sonship to you. And so Jesus said, I have come, Luke 4, 18, to preach good news to the poor. Secondly, Jesus said, I have come to heal broken hearts. Now, let me make this personal for a sec, because I used to think like my broken heart would never get healed. Even though I'm young like you, I've gone through a lot of stuff in my short years. 
My sister died in a car accident. My dad's first wife died. My brother almost died twice over the past three years because he has malaria, Crohn's disease, and had brain tumors. I went through chronic depression for 10 years. I went through a heartbreak a year and a half ago that left me reeling at the brink of the abyss. And Nietzsche's words came true. Like if you stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back into you. And there were times in my life where I was genuinely suicidal. I remember one night I took up a knife and was about to kill myself because I couldn't see hope and I was trapped in my own head. And that might be where you are today. Now I'm at a place of so much peace, so much joy, so much hope as I'm going on adventures with God and adventures with squad, realizing that I can go on friend ventures. I don't have to go through life alone. It is not good for man to be alone, God said in Eden. Now I found so much joy that I'm like shouting this thing from the rooftops. That's why I travel every week and speak because I want people so badly to get hope. I would die for this message because I realized I almost died because I didn't understand this message. And if you have a broken heart, I promise you, when you trust in the God of hope, when you turn your cares into prayers, your stresses into supplications, your worries into worship, your panic into praise, your fear into faith in your father, that is when a peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. When Jesus said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, The phrase a broken heart, that rhetoric and syntax traces the genesis of its origins back to ancient biblical Hebrew literature, which means the Bible actually invented the phrase a broken heart. A lot of people think God doesn't care about your emotions. God doesn't care about your feelings. When 900 times the Bible speaks of your heart, the sum, the seat, the center of who you are, the nexus of your emotional existence And the Bible says God is nigh to the brokenhearted. A lot of times we think God isn't close to me when my heart is broken. Where are you, God, when we're going through pain? But the truth is, that's like asking what shape is yellow. How can you get any closer to a God whose presence is inside you? You host the very presence of God. All you need is an awareness of his thereness that he's already here near and dear, that you are a temple for the Holy Spirit, a holy of holies on the go. And when you realize that you embody the very presence of the almighty God, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is fully capable of healing your broken heart. Psalm 56 says, you have collected all my tears in your bottle. Meaning your tears are not lost on God. They are caught by God. In fact, in Old Testament culture, when a woman cried, she would have a tear bottle handy and she would collect her tears in her bottle. Her tears of sadness and her tears of gladness commemorating her moments of greatest grief and her moments of greatest joy. Then when she was married, she would give the tear bottle to her husband to say symbolically and romantically, I give you my heart. That's why in all four Gospels, we see a a woman who washes Jesus' feet with her hair, with her perfume, and with her tears. Now, one scholar suggests, that scholar being my dad, (laughs) that, that she actually collected her tears in a bottle and dumped them on Jesus' feet. She dumped her tear bottle on Jesus' feet, thereby denoting, I am the bride of Christ. Come on, man. We're dropping bars. Is this good stuff? 
And she's saying, I'm giving you my heart. You're going to take really, really good care of it. And so, so Jesus said, I have come to heal broken hearts. Thirdly, he said in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to open the eyes of the blind. Paul said that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. I love how this church does an amazing job, this amalgamation and conglomeration, this like confederation of congregations, equipping and entertaining, entertaining, enriching, and ultimately empowering this generation to go forth as salt and light into the world in a very pragmatic, practical, and inspiring way. And we want to enlighten people's eyes to this good news. You guys do an amazing job at that here. Also, Jesus said, fourthly, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to free captives. Now, who is a captive? A captive like Zamperini during the days of World War II at Japanese uh, torture camps. Uh, A captive is a POW who may very well be innocent and is captured because he nobly fought in war and wouldn't raise the white flag or hoist the white flag of surrender. Jesus says, I'm coming to free people who are in bondage, not because of anything they did wrong, but because they have actually become the victim of injustice. Fourth, fifthly, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to to free prisoners. Zechariah 9.12 says, turn ye to the strongholds, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. And so even if your trouble doubles, you'll get double for your trouble if you're a prisoner you're going to find that God will turn you into a prisoner of hope and he will free you even if you're suffering because you're guilty of a crime. And then Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, 18, has anointed me to proclaim that the acceptable year of the Lord's jubilee has come. So when Paul said, now these things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. If we walk away from a Bible study with less hope rather than more hope, It is a giant exercise in missing the point. Like if if we walk away with blues rather than good news, we've lost the plot. Here's the reality. Paul said in Romans 15, 4, the scriptures through patience and comfort bring us hope. Now the word patience that he used in Greek is one of the great words of classical literature in archaic and and antediluvian times. The word, listen to this, watch this. The word patience in Greek is the word hupomoni. It was the word that the metaphysicians of Eldon and days of yore employed and deployed and utilized. The word, watch this, hupomoni, literally can be transliterated into the English lingua franca, triumphant fortitude. It means you not only sit down and bear things, but you rise up, stand up, conquer things, and change their very nature into something that will actually prove advantageous to you that was once hurtful. Hupomoni literally means you can take situations that are painful and convert them into pain fuel because pain either has the power to break you or it is the power that makes you unbreakable. What pain is depends on who your God just so happens to be. And ultimately, Paul said in Romans 5, we glory also in tribulation because tribulation produces patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope never maketh ashamed because of the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What Paul was saying is pain makes you stronger. Tears make you braver. Heartbreak makes you wiser. So you thank your past for a better future. 
because what the enemy means for evil, the Lord means for good. So we can adhere to the most repeated commandment in the Bible. Do not fear. We are no longer afraid because I used to be scared of the dark and now the dark is scared of me. It's not the power of the darkness that is to be feared. It is fear that gives power to the darkness. And if I kneel before God, God will stand up for me. And if God stands up for me, no one can stand against me. That's what hupomony is. Triumphant fortitude. Paul said through the triumphant fortitude of the scriptures written aforetime, we find hope. Now, the word hope in the Bible is not some airy, fairy, wishy-washy, hunky-dory, A-OK pie in the sky where unicorns shoot rainbows out of their eyes and it's raining jelly beans and Skittles. The word hope in the Bible, when Paul, for example, was apprenticing his young student, Timothy, he, he talked about the hope of everlasting life. The word in Greek is LPs. Would everybody please say LPs? The word LPs literally means joyful, confident, welcome. Number one, joyful. Friends, we should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. We should just be so excited about everything. Did you know the word enthusiasm comes from the roots, watch this, N, which means in, enthusiasm, which is where we get our word theology. It means God. N theos, in God. When you're enthusiastic, you're showing the world, I'm in God. Paul often talked about this. He said, stand fast in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Like a bird in the air, a fish in the sea, a root in the soil, we are in God. That's what enthusiasm, entheos, means. And hope in the Bible is joyful. It's enthusiastic. We have Peter Pan demonium. <laughs> Turning our everyday world into Neverland. We just refuse to grow up. Because Jesus said the greatest in my kingdom are the kids. Secondly, it is confident. It is confident. Hope in the Bible is not, well, I hope this deflated football will connect with the wide receiver and maybe I'll win the Super Bowl. Hope... <laughs> Hope in the Bible. I thought you were Bengals fans, not Patriots fans. But anyways, <laughs> hope, hope in the Bible, it, it, it's confident. It's not a Hail Mary. Well, golly, goodness, I hope. No, hope in the Bible, LPs in the Greek, is confident. It's Godfident. Hope in the Bible is looking forward to the future saving acts of God predicated upon the foundation of the salvation that God has already wrought in the past. Thirdly, it is welcome. This joyful confidence is the threshold over which miracles start running into our life. So, my friends, Paul said the scriptures, the word was written to give you hope. And that leads us to our text finally in Luke chapter 8. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 8 verse 4, where you guys left off. Um, this is the passage that I've been assigned and I'm super excited to share with you. This is what we're told in Luke 8, 4. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him, speaking of Jesus from every city, he spoke by a parable. Now, I love how Jesus always, it says, without a parable, he did not teach them. C.S. Lewis said that fiction um, lowers the watchful dragons to allow truth to sneak in. Uh, parables are stories that Jesus often told. He was an amazing storyteller. Um, is the anesthetic that enables the knife of truth, the double-edged sword, which is the word of God, to pierce a soul and spirit, bone and marrow. 
So this is the parable he says. In verse 5, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, verse 6, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries, the mysterion in Greek, of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the, say it out loud, word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Verse 15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, this is a difficult parable for us to really plumb the deeps for a twofold reason. Number one, Jesus was living in an agrarian society. So Pauline theology, Jesus teachings often deal with agriculture. They often talk about seeds and how you have to, with patience, as we just read, bear 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit. We do not live in an age of seeds. Post-industrial revolution, we live in an age of switches. We don't have to have a whole lot of patience anymore. If my Wi-Fi isn't kicking in for 30 seconds, I'm freaking out. But the truth is, we don't serve a hot pocket God. We serve a crock pot kind of God. You got to let his plans marinate. And his seed has to germinate. And and so Jesus would often use agricultural metaphors. And sometimes uh, we fail to really grasp its meaning because we're so used to saying, well, I went to church today and I read the Bible, so why isn't it working? As if it's a switch. No, it's a seed. And it takes time to patiently uh, discover the fruit burgeoning and coming to fruition from 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 and through your life. Um, The second reason this is a difficult parable for us to understand is because a lot of people misunderstand it. Notice how Jesus says, uh, the, the sower scatters the seed. The seed is the word of God. And sometimes it produces fruit and sometimes it doesn't. And the different soil represents the different kinds of hearts. And we take that to mean that the word, its power is ultimately contingent upon the hearer. But the word, the seed, does not change its nature based on what soil it falls upon. Meaning, The word of God, as Isaiah said, never returns void. So don't think Jesus is contradicting Isaiah by saying, you know, sometimes the word works and sometimes it doesn't. No, Jesus' point is the word will always accomplish the mission for which it was sent forth. The question is, is your heart prepared? Is the soil of your soul tilled in order to receive the message that I'm trying to speak to you? So the word of God is powerful. It's a seed that if we accept it with a good and noble heart, Jesus said, with childlike faith, it's going to bring all kinds of fruit in our life. So uh, can I just take a minute to speak the word over you and just like scatter seed everywhere? 
Is that cool? I just want to speak over you the promises of God. The Bible says, you go from glory to glory, grace to grace, strength to strength. As your days are, so shall your strength be. He turns your sorrow into joy, your mourning into dancing, puts off your sackcloth and girds you with gladness, gives you the garments of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. He gives you beauty for ashes. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you sow in tears, you will reap in joy. Them was our mouth filled with laughter, for they said among the nations, the Lord hath done great things for them. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, for the Lord can save by many or by few. Is his arm too short that it cannot save? Is his ear too dull that it cannot hear? Thou shalt be the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above and not beneath. Be still and know that I am God, for I shall be exalted among the heathen. As you meditate day and night on the law of God, you'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in your seasons that your leaf will not wither and whatever you do shall prosper. Psalm 20, may the Lord grant you your heart's desire. Psalm 21, 2, the Lord has granted me my heart's desire. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm 145, 19, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Proverbs 10, 24, the desire of the righteous will be granted. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. For the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Though you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Though thou walkest through the fires, thou shalt not be burned. No weapon formed against you will prosper. For the Lord your God is a warrior. The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rejoice over thee with singing. So blessed are those of you who are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So brethren, whatever things are true and noble and lovely, just, pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I may be hard-pressed on every side, but I am not crushed. I might be perplexed, but I am not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Because the God who begins a good work in me will be faithful to finish it until that perfect day. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I could ever ask or even think according to the power that is at work within me. God cannot lie and all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Let's go. When you accept that seed. And we're just scratching the surface. I wanted to go longer but I'm running out of time. The amount efficacious results that will be occasioned and generated in your life. It's limitless. If you will meditate, literally the Bible when it says meditate, it means chew the cud. Eastern meditation about emptying your mind, a placidity of nirvana, nothingness. Hebrew meditation about filling your mind. When you chew the cud and fill your mind with the law or the word of God, you're going to be like that tree bringing forth fruit in your season because you had the good soil as the farmer cast the seed. So, I want to play for you a 
in just a second, a little uh, clip from our TV show. We have a, a TV show called Hope Generation on the Hillsong channel. It's Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or uh, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. And uh, we're just really passionate about spreading hope to our generation. And, and here's why I want to play this little clip from our show is because something the Lord has shown me through his word is that Genesis fifty twenty, what the enemy intends for evil, the Lord means for good. And I tried to give you hope today. And maybe you're at a place where you're like, I have gone through hell. You might go through hell, but you do not have to smell like smoke. The word of God says, happy are those people whose God is the Lord. Book of Psalms. Now, that means that you're going to have a happily ever after. In the post-apocalyptic literature of Revelation, the enemy is going to be bound up and cast into the abuse over a thousand years. If you want to say something to the enemy, you better write it on your sneakers because he's under your feet. (laughs) But ultimately, you know you're going to have a happily ever after, which means everything is going to be okay in the end. So if it's not okay, it's not the end. (laughs) It's okay if you're not okay. It's just not okay if you stay that way. And don't fall into the mistake of judging the rest of your life on this current season. Job did that. His suffering was nine months, but he didn't realize he'd live 140 years to enjoy his great-great-grandchildren. So he judged the rest of his life on one current season, and God had to rebuke him for it. And that's why a whirlwind, you may remember, killed his kids. And then at the end of the story, God spoke out of a whirlwind. Because in the place we suffer most painfully, God is going to speak to us most powerfully. And I want to tell you that in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. There is hope for you. No matter what kind of hell you've gone through, Jesus is in the business of putting the fun back in funeral. (laughs) He always turns funerals into festivals. The lame are leaping. The blind are seeing. The mute are speaking. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raising. And he wants to bring you hope too. So I want to play this short clip and then I'll make a closing remark and we'll be on our way. I survived because the fire inside me burned brighter than the fire around me. God is a consuming fire and he is in me so the storm cannot take me where God cannot keep me. Wrong will be worsted, right will triumph, we are baffled to fight better, we sleep to wake, we fall to rise, we might have hell around us, but we have heaven inside of us. We bear a cross today, but we are going to wear a crown tomorrow. We are the people that have gone through hell and walked out of the flames carrying buckets of water for those still consumed by the fire. stand with me. My friends, as you go your way, don't be sad. Because sad spelled backwards is das. And das not good. So I just, I was there, man. I thought there was no joy, no hope left. And God restored the years the locusts have eaten. And He healed my broken heart. He's going to do the same for you. So give everything but up. (laughs) You follow?
Friends, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 66 books written by 40 different authors, 14 of which were written by Paul. And Paul said, we wrote the scriptures to give you hope. We have enough bad news in the world. We need some more good news. We have enough Eeyores. We need some more Tiggers. We have enough people who tell it like it is. We need some more who tell it like it can be. We have enough people who say you're going to die soon. We need some more who tell us you ain't dead yet. We need a check up from the neck up, get rid of stinking thinking and have an attitude of gratitude because just because bad things are happening around me does not mean they need to be happening inside me. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control what comes through me. God doesn't do anything to me. He only does things for me. And if God's going to do something for me, he's first got to do something in me. So don't look down and give up, but look up and get up. Jesus rose so you could rise. So sit back and relax because every setback is a setup for a comeback. Come on. There is hope. There is joyful, confident welcome because our Lord is dubbed with the moniker and sobriquet by Paul the Apostle, God of hope. As you walk with him, you too shall live happily ever after. Father, we thank you so much for the word. We accept it with fertile soil and we pray that now we would go our way walking, leaping, praising God with so much hope that we would go out into the world and be true hope dealers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Ben, we just want to thank you for being with us today. Thank you for bringing us that word of hope. Can we just thank God, too, for the hope that he provides that way? I love hearing your heart and knowing that that heart comes straight from God. That nothing that you heard him say when he speaks those words over us is coming from his good ideas. That is from the Lord. So, what we heard in that parable is that there is seed that hits the ground and there are birds that want to take it away. When you walk out of here, there are birds that want to take that seed that you have just heard away from your heart. Would you spend 15 seconds letting the good news soak in? Let that word sink in and let that hope carry you through. In a couple weeks, it's Mother's Day. So as that word sinks in, don't forget about your mama, okay? Get her a card, get her flowers, get her chocolates, whatever you need to. But I want you to know, we're expecting a big crowd for that weekend and that our services will be packed out. So if you call Horizon Home, I would encourage you, would you please think about coming to the 4.30 on Saturday, May 12th, or this 8.50 on Sunday morning, May 13th, so that we can save the best seats for our guests at the 10 and 11.10. Can you do that for me? And be good to your mama in a couple weekends. I've given you a lot of time to plan now, okay? Thank you for being here, Ben. Thank you for being here. Go with hope this morning, and we'll see you back next week.